You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 22. Verses 1 through 8, Abraham tested. One of the most beautiful ways Jesus is portrayed in the book of Genesis is as the son of promise, offered up as a sacrifice. These events occur sometime later, so we can assume Isaac is now a teenager, if not a young man of about 20. He is old enough to travel on foot for three days and to carry supplies. Abraham has been enjoying life with his son. Ishmael and Hagar had been sent away. This son, who brought such joy to their lives at his birth, has continued to be a source of joy to his parents. We're introduced to it as a test of Abraham. This is not a temptation, but a test of his faith. God was examining his heart. God calls to Abraham and tells him something quite shocking. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. God first tells him the region. Once he gets there, he'll be directed to a specific place. And this is important. He could have had Abraham do this where he was. But instead, he directed him to the place where David would offer the sacrifice of atonement after his unlawful census, where Solomon would build the first temple, and near where Jesus would one day be crucified. When God first called Abraham, he told him to get up, go, and let go of his past. Now he was asking him to get up, go, and let go of his future. God wasn't testing Abraham in order to see him fail, but to test the genuineness of his faith, as he had with Job. How each phrase must have twisted the knife in his own heart. Your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac sacrifice him as a burnt offering. So this is his son, not an animal. How he would gladly give up a lamb or bull instead. It's his only son, Isaac, whom God had promised to him through Sarah. It's the son he loves, the son of his old age, the miracle child, little laughter. He is to sacrifice him. A burnt offering is completely engulfed. And this would have gone against all natural affection and everything Abraham knew about God. Wait, what? Your only son? What about Ishmael, the firstborn? Doesn't he count? Not in terms of redemption. It's the son of Abraham and Sarah who is the son of promise. Ishmael represents the rejected bondwoman's son, who, those who believe they can be saved by works. He is now living in Paran and is married. God's plan is much better. So all of God's promises were to come through Isaac, but he hasn't married yet and produced any descendants. So how could God keep his promises that blessing would come through Isaac if Isaac was dead? How much did these thoughts ruminate through Abraham's mind as they traveled? Child sacrifice was what the pagans did. Why would God demand such a thing? It was impossible for God to lie. Abraham was so sure of God's character and God's word. After all, he had given Isaac to him as he'd promised. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
Abraham would do as God commanded, even though it seemed to go contrary to his promise that through Isaac the world would be blessed. God knew, and we know, something Abraham didn't know, that he wouldn't have to do it. But Abraham didn't know that. And that's what makes his faith so extraordinary. He speaks no words of protest. He doesn't discuss it with Sarah to get her opinion, because that wouldn't end well. This was her baby, regardless of his age. No, he obeys right away. And more than that, he rises early to obey. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And I know it's stating the obvious, but in order to wake up, you have to have gone to sleep. How could he have slept? More than that, he woke up early, eager to obey. I would have pressed the snooze button a few times at least. But like in 2114, when Abraham had to deal with his other son, he rose early to obey. He takes along two servants and his son Isaac. He cuts enough wood for the burnt offering, because he's not sure there will be firewood once he arrives, and he is removing that excuse from himself. He will obey. Then they set out for the place God had told him about. Isaac doesn't know that God has spoken to his father in the night, and he's about to have a day he'll never forget. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So there are a few things here we shouldn't miss. First, he had three days to think about it. Three days while Isaac was still alive and well by his side. Three days to either reconsider or deliberately obey. Yet he never turned back home. Second, they traveled far enough away that Sarah wouldn't be able to stop them. And I say this because the TV series The Bible has Sarah sensing something is up and running to them to try and stop Abraham, which didn't happen. Also, the phrase the third day isn't something related only to Jesus' resurrection, but it's hinted at throughout the whole Old Testament. And I'll point them out as we go, but watch for it yourself. And this is uh, the first one. But the main reason we are told that the journey was three days was to fix the location. They had traveled north from Mamre, Hebron, to the lower parts of Mount Moriah, which is near Jerusalem. Then, because the ascent is likely too steep for the donkey, Abraham tells his servants to stay with it while he and the boy go further alone. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So they take the firewood off the donkey, which had been carrying it, and leave the servants with the assurance that they will come back to them. Notice he saw what he was about to do as an act of worship. And he didn't say they would both return because he was lying to his servants or because he didn't intend on following through on God's command. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that Abraham believed that even if he obeyed and killed Isaac, God was able to raise him from the dead. So, as I said, Abraham takes the wood from the donkey and lays it on his son Isaac. Abraham carries the fire and the knife. I find Isaac's question to his father so heartrending. Father? Yes, my son. How it must have warmed his heart every time he heard his son call him father after waiting so long to hear it. Well, Isaac understands the elements needed for a sacrifice and sees there's something missing. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And this shows us the concept of burnt offerings was familiar even before the law was given. I'm sure 
Abraham swallowed the lump in his throat and could not look at Isaac as he answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Verses 9 to 19, God provides a sacrifice. They traveled for three days. They've now arrived at the place God told him about. Abraham builds an altar there with rocks and arranges the wood they brought on it. Then we're told he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Did Isaac protest or struggle as Abraham bound him on the altar? There's no record of it in scripture, so I'd conclude no. There was no, Father, what are you doing? Or, how could you do this? Or, please, Father, no. Just submission to his father's will, even though he knows it means an excruciating death at the hands of his own father. He now realizes he is the lamb God provided for the sacrifice. Abraham prepares to go through with it. Remember, he is not acting. He doesn't know what is about to happen. But God knows his thoughts and motives that he was determined to obey fully. He takes the knife and approaches his son. Just then, a voice calls out to him from heaven. It is the angel of the Lord who is also associated with the Lord himself. He calls out insistently, Abraham, Abraham. He answers, Here I am. He is told, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Here again we see him called both the angel of the Lord and the Lord himself. To say that Abraham was relieved is an understatement. He doesn't need to sacrifice Isaac literally, because he had already done it figuratively, in the sense that he would have done it. For God to say, Now I know that you fear God, doesn't mean he didn't already know it. It means that now this fear of God has been demonstrated or proven to be genuine. And how was it proven? By obedience to God's commands. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Again we see the angel of the Lord speaking as God. And he again emphasizes the high price. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So this verse also shows us that Isaac prefigured Christ in a figurative resurrection, whereas Christ had a literal resurrection. Isaac carried the wood that he would be placed upon as a sacrifice. Likewise, Jesus carried his own cross. They both carried the wood that would kill them. Abraham carried the knife and the fire. God would kill his own son. And if this sounds extreme, remember, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He was given to the world as a sacrifice. And Paul said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And this was foretold by Isaiah. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, 
and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In response to Isaac's question, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And hasn't he done that throughout history? All the repeated sacrifices of animals throughout the centuries only pointed forward to the perfect sacrifice, which would put an end to all other sacrifices, the one provided by God himself. John 1.29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God took his Son, his only Son, whom he loved, and sacrificed him. So here we see that Abraham was a prophet, saying God would provide himself a sacrifice, as God had called him a prophet in 27. Um, because he spoke, even though he didn't understand the significance of what he was saying. This is similar to Caiaphas in John 11, when he says, Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. Abraham bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Jesus was also secured to the cross with nails through his hands and feet. There is no record of any protest or struggle from Isaac as he realizes he is the lamb about to be sacrificed. There's just submission to the Father he loves and trusts. Jesus also gladly, gladly submitted to his Father's will, even knowing what it would cost him. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And also he says, Then I, our scripture says, Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. As they nailed him to the cross, he doesn't shout out that he's innocent or beg them not to do it. Isaac also represents us sinners bound under the sentence of death, about to die when a ransom is found. For God to say, now I know that you fear God, doesn't mean he didn't already know it. It means that now this fear of God has been demonstrated or proven to be genuine. How was it proven? By obedience to God's commands. Jesus said the Father loved him because he was willing to lay down his life. This obedient act demonstrated the genuineness of Abraham's faith. God did provide an animal for sacrifice, a ram. It was caught by its horns in a thicket. A thicket is a mass of thorns, which represents the effects of sin and horns are a symbol of strength. So we see Christ pictured as held fast by sin for us. And this also reminds us that Jesus was a young, healthy man when he was killed. Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head, bearing the curse on the earth and redeeming it. Being caught by its horns would mean its body would be unblemished, and so it would be a suitable sacrifice. Likewise, Jesus was a perfect sacrifice because he was sinless. 
Abraham offered up the ram as a sacrifice instead of his son. And this is a beautiful picture, picture of substitutionary atonement, prefigured here and in all the animal sacrifices to come, and fulfilled finally and completely when Jesus Christ takes our place as a sin offering to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And First Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. J.D. Greer says, Jesus did not merely die for you, he died instead of you. And so we see Abraham's obedience as an example for us to follow. Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And this faith leads to a similar blessing. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And another aspect of this blessing is the promised Holy Spirit. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Another aspect of God was revealed in the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. They would say, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And this also looked forward to the day when the Lord would provide the ultimate substitute in that same place. Some concluding thoughts. Christ was the son of promise. All of history is his story. All the types and shadows pointed to him, the promised one, beloved of the Father. He was God's son, his only son, whom he loved. Matthew 3.17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In this case, God's stopped Abraham from, fo from following through. But many years later, God the Father didn't hold back his hand. He slew his own son. Yet it was his plan A. The cross didn't just happen to Jesus like he was a hapless victim of circumstance. Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. God had again provided the lamb for the sacrifice on the mountain. And that's why all these narratives in scripture are given to us, not just to entertain us or to teach us a lesson in themselves. They were all glimpses of the future and the great mystery hidden from the ages, but now revealed to us. It was the master plan. God meant to do this. Timothy Keller says, Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me, now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and saying, Now, and we can say, Now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Today there is backlash against the idea of substitutionary atonement, but that is the heart of the gospel. Steve Chalky calls it cosmic child abuse for God to kill his son. But there are three problems with that idea. First, Jesus is God's son, but not his child. 
Also, Jesus is God, so he is himself the substitute, and Jesus gave his life willingly. Dr. David P. Murray says, Neither Abraham, Isaac, nor any Israelites at that time could have ever fully grasped that God would one day not only demand sacrifice, dictate the sacrifice, substitute the sacrifice, and be satisfied with sacrifice, but would actually also become the sacrifice. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 23. May God bless the study of his word.